This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Ambassador Khalil Assad, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your service to our country. And um, uh, we appreciate uh, your being here today. Uh, the Biden administration has made its decision to draw down from Afghanistan by September 11th of this year, bringing to a close the U.S. military presence in the country. I believe that it is the responsibility of this committee to examine the implications of this decision for U.S. national security interests in the region and what it means for the people of Afghanistan. The issues confronting the future of U.S. policy in Afghanistan fall squarely in the jurisdiction of this committee. And I urge my colleagues to remain focused on Afghanistan, especially after the last U.S. service member leaves. The, depart the departure of U.S. troops does not mean the end of U.S. engagement. In fact, it may require even more attention from the State Department, aid workers, and U.S. policymakers. After the departure of the Soviets from Afghanistan, the international community largely moved on. Afghanistan fell into civil war in the years that followed, and al-Qaeda and other terror groups gained traction. Addressing these problems was not a priority for the United States, and the result was 9-11. I urge us and the international community not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Folsome engagement by the United States will be necessary in the years ahead to ensure that our interests are met. I appreciate the desire to get our troops out of, out of Afghanistan. It is something that I support. But as I have said all along, how we withdraw and what political arrangement is left in our wake matters deeply. The messaging from the administration since the announcement has been limited. Our troops are leaving at some point before September 11th. I got that. But what is the plan for the path forward? For me, there are two fundamental questions at play. First, can we effectively conduct counterterrorism operations without a presence inside Afghanistan? The power of terror groups has eroded significantly over the past 20 years, but the terrorism landscape is not static. How will we gather the intelligence necessary to keep these groups at bay? Second, do we have leverage to ensure that a power-sharing agreement in Afghanistan broadly reflects the will of all of the Afghan people, including women, youth, and minority groups? Our leverage seems quite limited to me at this point, but we must do everything we can to ensure that the Afghan government is in the best position possible to succeed in these negotiations. Third, given the uncertain security situation in the country, I think we also need to consider contingency planning. If the Taliban were to come back to power, the reality for Afghanistan's women and girls, I think, would be devastating. In that regard, I want to submit for the record a joint statement from the Afghan Parliament Standing Commission for Human Rights, Civil Society, and Women's Affairs, and the Parliamentary Caucus on Women's Role in the Peace Process, the statement urges continued U.S. diplomatic and assistance support post the drawdown of troops, and I ask unanimous consent that this important statement from those women be included in the record of this hearing. Without objection, it is so included. Um, on top of uh, the challenge of the reality for Afghanistan's women and girls, uh, my question is what is the administration's plan to address that? 
Many Afghans who work for the U.S. will face pressure and attacks from the Taliban. Does the administration have a robust special immigrant visa and refugee asylum plan in place to rapidly process what I think may be thousands of Afghans who may need to leave the country? This committee has played a leading role in conducting oversight with respect to the Afghan peace process. I led a legislative effort to enhance congressional oversight of the peace process, a framework that is now law. The Biden administration has blown through a certification deadline and a reporting deadline established under the law. We don't write laws and expect that they will be ignored. The February 29th arrangement with the Taliban, however, Florida is still the only arrangement on record with this group. Its implementation should still matter, especially in relation to the Taliban's counterterrorism commitments. This missing certification and report are necessary for Congress to conduct oversight of this issue, and the administration needs to deliver them immediately. As the Taliban plans its strategy with respect to negotiation with the government, I want to be crystal clear. I don't believe under any circumstances that the United States Senate support, uh, will support assistance for Afghanistan, especially under the World Bank's program, which provides budget support, if the Taliban has taken a governing role that ends civil society advances and rolls back women's rights. I think the Congress of the United States is rather clear, controls the, the appropriations of assistance abroad. And I don't believe we will bend on this point. Moreover, I want to personally advocate for the UN and U.S. to maintain sanctions on the Taliban if women's rights are trampled under their leadership. The choice for the Taliban is clear. The only path to international legitimacy is through the democratic process and a peace deal that serves the interests of the Afghan people. My message to the Taliban is this. If you want to play a role in governance and avoid international pariah status, then seriously pursue a peace deal, participate in the democratic process, and treat women as equal members of society. This is the only way the world will see you as legitimate. In closing, these are very difficult issues, and there are no good options. But now that the president has made his decision, we need to come together to focus on the implications and chart a path forward that is in our interest. I want the committee to be deeply engaged in that process, and I expect consistent and substantial consultation by the administration at every step along the way. With that, I recognize the ranking member, Senator Risch. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. First of all, uh, like many others, I have deep concerns about the administration's rush for the exits uh, in Afghanistan. Most everyone agrees that we need to seek a reasonable end to the war there and that our troops should come home qu as quickly as possible. However, a U.S. military drawdown should only occur in a way that safeguards our national security interests, preserves our hard-fought gains, and protects the homeland. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm concerned that the administration's decision may result in a Taliban offensive that topples the government. Indeed, it seems that most of the people who work in this space think that that's where this is headed. It would eliminate, that would eliminate any chance for a negotiated peace, place at risk the rights of Afghan women and minorities, and produce staggering numbers of refugees and result in a safe haven for terrorists who wish to attack America. Our departure from Afghanistan will not improve the conditions on the ground. The sobering reality 
is that the Afghanistan-Pakistan region remains a dangerous place. Uh, despite some argument that the threat has diminished, there is a consensus that unless we continue to apply pressure to these terror networks operating there, we'll see a threat against the United States in short order. Of the 72 U.S.-designated terrorist groups globally, 15 reside in the Afghanistan-Pakistan region, and many of these groups have stated their intent to uh, attack Americans in the United States. We can't trust the Taliban with America's security. Worse, the incipient counterterrorism plan potentially depends on Afghanistan's neighbors, who have long history, a long history, of supporting and har harboring the Taliban. The only responsible way forward is to retain an effective U.S. counterterrorism capability, uh, in, insist on conditions-based reduction in troops, and demand the Taliban's compliance with a counterterrorism framework. In my discussions with military leaders, they've been clear that it is not easy to conduct uh, counterterrorism from afar. We cannot commute to a fight without significantly increasing the risk to our forces. The distances are great, we lose important human intelligence networks, and we lack suitable basing agreements in neighboring countries. My fear is that Afghanistan will become a dangerous blind spot. In addition to counterterrorism concerns, an American departure puts Af uh, Afghan women, minorities, and girls under serious threat of, of losing their hard-earned rights. Over the last 20 years, we have seen remarkable gains in human rights, reflected by a dramatic increase in the number of girls in, in school and women in positions of authority. The Taliban's view on these issues are clear. As we saw during their rule in the 90s and have seen with the assassinations of female journalists and medical workers in recent months. For our part, any congressional approval of further assistance to Afghanistan should and must depend on the shape of the government there and its adherence to counterterrorism commitments and human rights. The Secretary of State recently announced an additional $300 million in assistance for Afghanistan. While these programs are rightly focused on civil society, anti-corruption, women's rights, and economic improvement, I have serious concerns about oversight, any oversight of these dollars. With the departure of U.S. troops and the potential for Afghanistan to descend into violence, providing oversight of our investment will be difficult at best. There is also the matter of safeguarding our embassy and diplomats. State tells us that planning is underway, and I look forward to those consultations. I remain very skeptical of our security on the ground. To our men and women in uniform, our diplomats, aid workers, and NATO allies, and other partners, you have borne an enormous weight since the attacks on September 11, 2001. You have nobly served, and all of us owe you and your families an incredible debt of gratitude. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Risch. For the um, information of members, it's the chair's intention to work through these votes. Uh, we will rotate out uh, in terms of making sure that we are uh, on the floor to cast votes on these nominations. Um, so I will turn to Ambassador Khalilazad for his um, testimony. Then we'll start round of five minutes, and we will rotate through whoever hasn't voted. I would urge you to consider doing that now, so when time comes, you're free to cast your questions when, the, when, uh, when, free to, uh, when your turn is up, I should say. 
With that, Ambassador, thank you very much again for being here, and uh, we look forward to your comments. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, uh, ranking member, and distinguished members of this committee. I'm grateful to be here today to discuss America's strategy in Afghanistan. As you know, President Biden has announced his decision to begin the withdrawal of remaining U.S. forces from Afghanistan by May 1 and to conclude before September 11. This decision was reached after an extensive review and clear-eyed focused on facts on the ground. As the President laid out in his speech on April 14, he made the decision based on four judgments. First, our original objective in Afghanistan after 9-11 was to root out Al-Qaeda there. That movement has been significantly degraded and its leader, Osama bin Laden, brought to justice. Second, the world has changed since 2001. The terror threat, including from Al-Qaeda, is now geographically dispersed in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. We now face new urgent challenges. As the President has said, we must fight the battles for the next 20 years not the last 20. <coughs> Continuing with the policy of the past two decades in Afghanistan is no longer sensible. It would entail high ongoing costs without commensurate outcomes. The agreement in place provided for the U.S. and coalition forces to withdraw by May 1 of this year, reason number four, to reverse course would have meant a return to war with the Taliban, a war that would have continued indefinitely. The same agreement opened the door to historic inter-Afghan negotiations. This too would have been undermined. To be clear, there is no option to continue the status quo. The President determined that it was not in our national interest to maintain U.S. troops in Afghanistan. In the coming months, we will withdraw our troops responsibly, deliberately, and safely in coordination with our NATO allies and operational partners. We have made it clear to the Taliban that if they attack us as we draw down, we will defend ourselves forcefully. We will reconfigure our counterterrorism capabilities to ensure our ability to monitor and address terrorism threats emanating from Afghanistan. We will maintain substantial assets in the region and will continue to work closely with Afghan security forces and regional partners. We will hold the Taliban accountable to their commitments to prevent Al-Qaeda or any other terrorist group from using Afghanistan as a base for attacks against us. If a terrorist threat does emerge, we will be ready. Even as we withdraw our military forces, we will continue our diplomatic support for the peace process and urge all parties, Afghans and international stakeholders, to remain focused on securing a political settlement 
and a permanent ceasefire. It's time for all concerned to abandon the negative patterns of behavior that have complicated the pursuit of peace. For our part, the United States will support a continuing partnership with Afghanistan. And our allies and partners have indicated that they will do the same. With the support of Congress, our partnership with Afghanistan will entail the continuation of substantial civilian and security assistance. Our security assistance will primarily support sustainment and functionality of some 300,000 Afghan military and police personnel. They are a vital asset for their country and deserve our support. We intend to maintain our embassy and will continue to provide development assistance, promote economic investment, and advocate to preserve the gains for minorities and for women, including their meaningful participation in the ongoing negotiations and their appropriate representation throughout society. This mission is important to me personally. I was fortunate to play a small role as ambassador to Afghanistan in the early 2000s in encouraging the adoption of constitutional provisions that upheld the rights of women. More recently, I fought for the inclusion of women on the Islamic Republic's negotiating team. They have directly and effectively engaged the Taliban at the negotiating table, challenging Taliban stereotypes and demonstrating by their presence and skill the important social advances that have taken place in Afghanistan since 2001. We are likewise pressing for women's inclusion in any future peace efforts. Secretary Blinken and I want, to, want you to know that I have repeatedly demanded the Taliban release of Mark Fredericks and enlisted the support of senior Qatari and Pakistani officials on his behalf. As the Taliban seek to end their chapter of animosity with the United States, they must know to move forward, they cannot continue to hold an American hostage. Let me turn to the critical effort to reach a political settlement. It has been evident for years that there is no military solution to what is now a four-year conflict in Afghanistan. We have been pursuing intensive diplomacy with both sides and with a wide array of non-Afghan stakeholders to accelerate talks. We have shared proposals to help catalyze and advance the process. Leaders from across the political spectrum in Afghanistan have come together to formulate suggestions in response to our proposals and in preparations for the next phase of the peace process. This is a sign that the process is working. We welcome the decision by the United Nations to play an enhanced role. Together with Qatar and the United Nations, Turkey is ready to host a high-level meeting between the Islamic Republic and the Taliban in Istanbul. The opportunities are in place. The international will to assist is robust. And it's now up to Afghan Islamic Republic leaders and the Taliban to seize the moment. This committee will understand the special role of Pakistan. We have urged Pakistan's leaders to exercise their considerable leverage over the Taliban to reduce violence and support a negotiated settlement. Pakistan has publicly stated 
that they do not support a military support a military takeover by the Taliban. I believe they understand that their country too will face grave consequences in the event of a return to a wider civil war. They have expressed support for a peace process in Afghanistan. In my discussion with the Taliban, I have painted the choice between two very different futures for them. They can embrace a negotiated peace path to peace, make the transition from a violent insurgency to a political movement, and join their fellow Afghans in a nation that enjoys respect in the global community. But if they obstruct a negotiated settlement and instead pursue a military takeover, they will be opposed not only by the Afghan Republic, but by the United States, our allies and partners, and the region. They will face isolation, regional opposition, sanctions, and international appropriation. There is remarkable consensus within the region and the international community against the military takeover by the Taliban. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, thank you for this opportunity to update you. I want to state in closing that the United States' investment in Afghanistan over the past two decades, made possible by you and your constituencies, has been enormous and honorable. We have given blood and treasure to the efforts to stabilize and develop a society far from our own not just because terrorists planned 9-11 there, but because we, as a nation, also cared about the plight of millions of Afghan women and girls, about the fledging civil society that has grown powerful and independent, and about peace for millions of families there in cities and villages we now know well. Afghanistan has been transformed. We want our investments and sacrifices to have been worthwhile. And if we navigate the coming months appropriately, I believe that this can, be, this can happen. In the end, however, it will be up to the Afghans to seize their opportunities. Our, troop, our troops deserve to come home. And Afghanistan deserves a chance to find its own way forward with help and encouragement from its friends led by the United States. Thank you again, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Ambassador. With that, we'll start a round of five-minute questions. Why do you think the Taliban has been fighting for over the course of the past 20 years? What's their goal? Uh, they've argued that they are fighting to get the international forces, the foreign forces, out of their country uh, and that they regard those forces as occupation forces. Mm. Would you agree that their vision has been to establish an emirate that would return Afghanistan to the brand of governance seen before 9-11? Uh, that has been their stated vision, uh, but they have also have said that they have changed uh, since uh, in the dark days when they ruled Afghanistan in the 1990s. But their desire to establish an emirate is um, I still, still their vision. If that is the case, uh, what makes uh, us think that giving them, uh, uh, that they will give up now from their stated vision now that U.S. forces are leaving? Do you really think, for example, that 
the incentives of international legitimacy, lifting of sanctions, international assistance will be all it takes for them to peacefully participate in the democratic process? I think those uh, factors uh, they say are important, but more important uh, it is that they cannot have a peace in the foreseeable future uh, and they will have a long war confronting them uh, because their fellow Afghans, the, those that support the republic, uh, for example, uh, do not support the restoration of an uh, emirate or the emirate back in Afghanistan. No, I know, I know their fellow Afghans don't, but uh, they do. And militarily, uh, they seem to uh, have already covered a good part of the country. I know that there's rising violence in Kabul, uh, and we are far from a withdrawal. So uh, I'm trying to uh, understand why they are suddenly going to change the dynamics of what their stated goal is when they will have less of a consequence to meet the a challenge to meet them as they try to pursue that goal. And so... Uh, that, that's one of the challenges I have in trying to understand what we're doing here. Um, the department was required to provide a report on Taliban compliance with the February 29th agreement. In my view, they've already violated that agreement by maintaining ties to al-Qaeda. This report was due on April the 1st. Uh, when will the department submit this report? I understand uh uh, what you're saying, Mr. Chairman, I think uh, your staff and the department are in discussions. I will uh, take this message again back to them. I, I believe that uh, work is underway to address your concern. I, I hope it is, Ambassador. But, you know, I, we don't write provisions of law for having them ignored. I held the previous administration to the same standards as the ranking member. I intend to hold this administration to the same standards. The purpose of the information is to be able to be informed so that members can make decisions on what U.S. policy should be. So I wrote this provision of the NDAA to uh, gain insight as Congress conducts oversight of the agreement. And I didn't write the provision with the expectation that the administration would ignore it. Uh, I expect the department to comply with the law, uh, and I hope that you will work to make sure this compliance takes place from your role, since obviously they will call upon you for the insights to make that report. So do I have your commitment to work uh, to try to get to us sooner rather than later? As I said, uh, Senator, uh, we understand the importance of what you have stated, and uh, we're working with your team to respond us uh, very quickly. Well, let's put it this way. I don't get the report. There'll be no authorizations forthcoming from this committee. So hopefully Understood. we get the report. That's not the way I like to operate, but if, that's, if we're going to be ignored, then there has to be a consequence. Do I have your commitment to brief uh, this committee after the next round of negotiations between the Taliban and Afghan government? I'm always available, uh, Senator. Uh, I, I have uh, sought opportunities to be to brief, when it hasn't happened, uh, I have regretted that. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Well, I will take that as your answer is yes. From my side, yes. Yes, okay, I understand. Is the State Department going to significantly increase its special immigrant visa slots for Afghans seeking to flee the country? 
we understand uh, the importance of this issue. We're working on a plan, and we'll work with Congress uh, to to respond uh, to it. Uh, I'm sure m many Afghans with skills uh, would like to stay in their country and help the country develop, but we understand our responsibility in this regard, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll consult with you. Uh, a plan is being developed. Well, I hope the department has, oh, this last point I'll make, I'll turn to the ranking member. I hope it has a very vigorous uh, special immigrant visa program uh, I hope that they'll want to stay in their country as well and contribute to the nation's future. But we don't have a good history of taking care of those who sided with us in conflict and making sure that if they feel they cannot sustain themselves in their country or unwilling to do so, that we take care of them. And uh, that sends a global message. Don't fight with the Americans, because when they're finished, they leave you behind. That's not something we can tolerate. Uh, Senator Risch. Well, both Senator Risch and I need to vote. So have you voted, Jane, on this first? You have? Okay, so... Uh, okay, so... I have, in the order of who's here, Senator Kane is next, and Senator Shaheen. So, well, shall we go with that? Okay. Mr. Chair, would you want to go to a Republican just to alternate since oh, you... I can do that as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Senator, so, Senator Kane, then... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Senator Romney. I forgot Senator Rich uh, held for the moment. And then Senator Kane, and I should be back by then, but if not, Senator... Ambassador, uh, it's uh, a, a wonderful thing to see you again, and I express my deep appreciation for the effort you have made over so many years to bring uh, peace and stability to the nation of Afghanistan and to the people there, and particularly to the women there. Uh, it is a debt of gratitude our nation uh, owes to you. Um, I'm also mindful of the sacrifice of the sons and daughters uh, who have lost their lives or lost loved ones in the conflict in Afghanistan. It, uh, it breaks my heart to think of these soldiers um, and the blood that was shed. Uh, and yet I recognize that as they, as they carried out their responsibilities to serve our country in a foreign place, and nonetheless were injured or lost life there, that they believed that the things they were fighting for were in the best interests of their fellow brothers and sisters across the world and, uh, and were in the best interests of the United States of America. And, and I think it's important that we understand uh, what their sacrifice brought to the people of Afghanistan and to the people of the United States of America. And... I'll begin with a question by asking, um, are, are you satisfied with the negotiating process that was carried out between yourself and the, and the Taliban? Did, they, did the agreements reached, uh, 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 were, were they honored in, in large measure, or do you believe that, that we were not dealt with in a fair uh, manner in, our, in your negotiations with the Taliban? Well, uh, thank you very much, Senator Romney. It's, it's a great pleasure and an honor to see you again. 
um, under the circumstances uh, uh, with the desire of the United States uh, to withdraw its forces from Afghanistan, the agreement that we uh, struck with the Taliban was the best uh, possible under the circumstances. And uh, with regard to the uh, uh, implementation of the agreement, I would say that the inter-Afghan negotiations, uh, which is foundational for the future of that country, uh, is one key consequence of that. Uh, and those have started. Uh, uh, and uh, the Taliban, a second part, uh, had agreed not to attack uh, the coalition forces after that agreement was signed. That has been... Uh, uh, honored. Uh, we have had, thank goodness, no, no fatalities uh, since that agreement was signed over a year ago. Uh, number three, there was a, an agreement uh, by the Taliban not to allow the territory that they control to be used uh, for uh, plotting and planning and carrying out uh, attacks against the United States and its allies. There has been uh, positive developments, but we're not satisfied. We would like to see more on that, and I can discuss that in a different format in greater detail. Uh, but uh, there are other areas in which uh, we're less satisfied. The level of violence has been too high compared to what we expected uh, to happen. So, uh, Positive, uh, but also some uh, some areas that of concern that has remained. Thank you, Ambassador. Uh, what do you predict? I know you're not going to want to make a prediction, but um, but do you predict that there will be an agreement reached between the government of, of uh, Afghanistan and the Taliban and and uh, stability uh, or relative stability uh, and and uh, or do you instead see a imminent collapse, that as soon as we're gone, that the military runs, that the government folds, that the Taliban takes over, and we find ourselves in the same position uh, of the Afghanistan we looked at 20 years ago. Which do you see? Uh, and and, uh, uh, and, uh, and if there's a different forecast, I'm happy to hear that. Sure. I don't personally believe uh, that uh, there will be an imminent collapse. I know there are others who have had a different view. Uh, I believe the choice that the Afghans face uh, is between uh, a negotiated political settlement uh, or a long war. Um, and, uh, and this is a, a choice that Afghan leaders uh, make for the sake of their uh, current generation Afghans and future generations. I hope they will learn from the mistakes uh, of the past, such as when the Soviets withdrew, uh, that uh, rather than coming together, uh, agreeing that by force the record is that one party has tried to impose its will on others has not produced uh, results, stability, progress, that they come to an agreement on a formula uh, uh, where they can compete and cooperate. Uh, that opportunity is once again confronting them. And uh, 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 it's up to them uh, the opportunity is there, our support is there, the support of the rest of the international community is largely there. I Iran as well? 
Uh, you, even, uh, I mean, although I am, uh, of course, very skeptical of uh, Iran and policies, uh, but in the case of Afghanistan, uh, since the announcement uh, by the president, they have expressed uh, support uh, for a political settlement. They say they're opposed to a Taliban takeover, and they're opposed to the uh, uh, restoration of the emirate, as is the case with China, with Russia, with Pakistan, with all their Afghanistan neighbors, and, of course, with our allies. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Senator? We're being really polite to each other on this side. I think, actually, Senator Coons was here before I was, and so he would probably be next in order. Senator Sheen, do you agree with me on that? Oh. Uh, If you would, um, thank you, Senator Kane, very much. Would you please check and see if Senator Cardin is available online or not? Is Mr. Cardin, is Senator Cardin available? Cardin, party of one, Cardin, party of one. (laughs) May I proceed with questioning? Thank you, Senator King. Um, Thank you uh, to Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rich, for holding this hearing, uh, and to Ambassador Khalilzad um, for your dedication and service and engagement on this uh, challenging strategic issue. I'm glad this committee is exercising its oversight role and examining the administration's decision to bring America's longest war Um, to a responsible end. I have heard from hundreds and hundreds of Delawareans over recent years um, who want our troops to come home, um, and I look forward uh, to consulting closely with the administration, with members of this committee, our allies and partners, and the Afghan people to do our best to support the peace process and to find a responsible path forward. As the chair of the Appropriations Subcommittee that funds our foreign assistance programs, uh, I'm concerned about our ability to successfully implement what have been for 20 years robust assistance programs to support the development of Afghanistan and the Afghan people, particularly if violence increases after withdrawal, particularly if the Taliban do not keep some commitments that they've made. Um, Speaking for myself, um, I will continue to support robust development assistance um, for the Afghan government, the Afghan people, uh, but not uh, if there is a takeover by the Taliban and they break some basic commitments to respecting the role of women and fundamental human rights and a democratic uh, process. So, uh, Ambassador, how can we ensure uh, the viability, the success of our ongoing development programs of our investment in the Afghan government, the Afghan people? And what could this committee and the Appropriations Committee uh, do to be most relevant and helpful? Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Senator. I believe that... uh, uh, the Afghans might be also watching uh, these hearings. Uh, uh, the, the message of commitment uh, uh, to them uh, that it be a new uh, uh, partnership with them, and no direct military presence, but that our commitment to them to the uh, to uh, uh, development assistance, humanitarian assistance. Uh, uh, is uh, and even security assistance to the armed forces of Afghanistan will be uh, robust. That's uh, what we would like to have. But, of course, it depends on the conditions and the performance uh, by the Afghans. Uh, I, I believe that the development assistance, which the Talibs say they also want uh, from the United States, uh, provides us with leverage to incentivize uh, 
but I, 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 as, as you say, uh, and I support that, that it would be condition-based, depending on uh, that the Afghans will make their own choices uh, and the United States in turn uh, will respond to that and make its decisions. Uh, they know there is no ambiguity, uh, Senator, I can assure you, based on conversations that we have had with the Taliban or with the other Afghans as to uh, where we stand. Uh, uh, where, what we would like to see happen. Uh, we respect that they will make their own decisions, but that we will respond to that. But our commitment to continue with a strong partnership with Afghanistan has been clear, and we have expressed it, and I, I'm grateful for what you said, Senator. I'm, I'm interested in hearing from you your assessment of China's interests in Afghanistan going forward. Um, we've recently marked up a broadly bipartisan bill about strengthening the United States uh, and our tools and our abilities with regards to engaging in the world. And uh, part of what informed that debate was uh, a clear-eyed view about China uh, as a competitor in some spheres and as a potential partner in others. What do you see as China's core interest in Afghanistan? And my last question, if there's a resurgence of violence in Afghanistan, do you see a scenario where the Afghan government might request UN peacekeepers there was, um, strikingly, earlier this month, a South China Morning Post story that Beijing was considering sending a peacekeeping force to Afghanistan, uh, which surprised me. So if you'd answer both those questions, I'd appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Of course, one of the realities of the current world is an increasingly assertive uh, China. Um, uh, and uh, with regard to Afghanistan, the Chinese have been satisfied to see us uh, deal with the challenge of Afghanistan, the challenge of terrorism in Afghanistan that they also feel uh, threatened by. Uh, and uh, uh, now China and other neighbors of Afghanistan have to rise uh, to the occasion, encourage uh, a political settlement, uh, and then provide uh, assistance, uh, development assistance uh, for Afghanistan as well. Uh, uh, I think the withdrawal, some in China fear that we had some uh, permanent uh, presence uh, concept for our forces in Afghanistan that could threaten their interests. But now, of course, there is, it's a change environment, and I hope they will rise to the occasion. They have said and their core concern is terrorism from Afghanistan. Uh, but they have also had uh, some economic interest. Uh, uh, the last several years, they've uh, uh, been interested in some of the resources of Afghanistan, some mines to develop those. Uh, uh, because of the security environment, uh, those have not really uh, borne out in part. But uh, China's interest, I think, core number one interest has been uh, uh, the, the terrorism interests and economic interests second. Is there any credible scenario in which the Afghan government would request international peacekeepers? Last question. Well, if there is a settlement, uh, uh, then uh, one uh, notion in, in uh, peace settlements where a third party has been the enforcer have tended to last longer. This is the academic literature demonstrate that. Uh, so uh, that's, a, that's a possibility that they might. That's obviously their decision. But uh, as of now, this, has, this issue has not come up. But we have asked the UN to play a more active role in promoting, facilitating, 
the peace process in Afghanistan. Thank you very much, Ambassador. My understanding is that Senator Johnson is the next senator to question. Thank you, Senator Coons. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, welcome. Uh, in your opening statement, uh, you used a phrase similar to uh, your policy is going to be based on clear-eyed facts on the ground. Um, you also mentioned that if the Taliban wants to move forward, uh, I've never seen much evidence of the, of, the, of the Taliban embracing the modern world wanting to move forward. They seem to want to move back. Uh, and I really fear that they're going to move back to how they governed uh, Afghanistan earlier. Is there evidence that they truly want to move forward, that they will embrace a, you know, some movement toward a modern world? Well, um, we will have to see whether uh, in practice they will. Uh, they say they do. Uh, they, obviously, they have their own values, uh, and they have expressed it. But those values that they speak about, uh, Islam, uh, that, that is present in um, many countries in the world, in that region and beyond. And you see that those values practiced differently from place to place. And uh, the Talibs say they are interested in being uh, not being a pariah and being welcomed. Uh, and uh, we will have to see. All I can say is that we have made it clear that if they do, they, they can end this prior status. There can be progress in relationship with us and with others. But if they don't, uh, the very thing that they say they do not want uh, to happen uh, will be inevitable. I think all of our concern is we've seen in the past how they practice their values in an incredibly brutal fashion. And I, I don't want to preempt uh, Senator Shaheen's questioning here, but in our secure briefing, uh, sh she pointed to a uh, classified document uh, describing or potentially predicting uh, what is going to happen to the women and girls in Afghanistan. Um, in your testimony, you also said if uh, you know, Taliban behave uh, in a certain way that will hold them accountable. So the two questions I have, uh, first of all, what can you say publicly in terms of what the predictions are in terms of Taliban treatment of women should they take over the government? Again, I, you know, personally, I'm concerned about public executions and other forms of brutality that will just be so incredibly offensive. And if that's the case, what do we do? Are we going to sit back and just watch that, wring our hands, and mourn the fact that uh, we had made so much progress? And, and by the way, I think America and allies have to take pride in the progress that was made. I think that's probably our biggest concern here, is having that, all that progress uh, be for naught. But again, the, the question is, what, what were the predictions that you can talk about in an unclassified setting and how would we hold them accountable? Well, thank you very much, Senator. Uh, I share those concerns, uh, and I have uh, been grateful to Senator Shaheen for uh, always raising them. And uh, uh, we've been very mindful of that, uh, and we are very proud of the uh, positive developments that have occurred uh, thanks to American generosity and uh, American support. Uh, but... Uh, uh, of course, war is a terrible thing, uh, the, uh, the, uh, and uh, there have been some setbacks in Afghanistan with regard to values because of the ongoing war. 
uh, and uh, some schools have been closed because of security environment. Mothers are not sending their kids or parents to school. Sometimes the heartbreaking stories, even some senior uh, members of the Afghan elite that send their, if they have two kids, send them on alternate days to school because they, 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 they worry that they might lose both kids uh, in one incident. Uh, so there is a yearning for peace for ending this war uh, that is there. But uh, there is uh, also uh, the concern about what the Talibs will do given their past record. Uh, we have said that if they do want U.S. assistance, they want international acceptance, they want to end their prior state, they want delisting, those things will be all affected by how they treat their own citizens, uh, first and foremost, the women of Afghanistan, children and minorities. Uh, 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 the issue is, uh, should we use the U.S. troops uh, to enforce particular values, especially in a situation where we have been there for 20 years in a war that, uh, for which there is no military solution? We have other instruments that will remain relevant and powerful, in my view, uh, uh, that we would have to rely on and send that message loud and clear, like you, Senator Shaheen, and other senators uh, have made today. Well, thank you. Hopefully, Senator Shaheen can maybe get a little more detail there. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, I understand Senator Cardin is not with us at this moment on web. Uh, I'm with you. Ah, okay. This is the Cardin. virtual world. Senator Cardin, then. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, uh, first, uh, let, let me thank uh, our, our witness for his incredible service to our country. And I think we all agree that there is no easy solution here and there's no good options. So I heard uh, you testify as to the fact that if Afghanistan, with or without the Taliban, wants to be a country that's respected globally and does not want to be a prior state, then they're going to have to live up to their commitments on anti-terrorism and on human rights. So I want to seek your advice. That's a lot easier said than done. And I mean taking action against the government when it violates norms on anti-terrorism or human rights. Anti-terrorism is a little bit more easy easy for us to define, human rights is not. So what advice would you give us to have be in the strongest possible position to enforce good governance on Afghanistan, to make sure there's no backsliding on the progress that they have already made, to make sure that women and girls' rights that have been very difficult in that country don't move in the wrong direction. What advice would you give to the United States Senate or to Congress in order to maximize the leverage that uh, the whatever happens with the withdrawal of our troops, that we're in the strongest possible position to uh, encourage the government of Afghanistan to live up to its commitments on human rights. Well, thank you very much, Senator. Um, I think the key uh, uh, instruments to rely on uh, for incentivizing compliance uh, to the commitments that the uh, Afghan government or the Taliban uh, or a 
Taliban as part of a future government, uh, uh, that they remain committed to that, is to uh, uh, first make assistance conditional uh, uh, on compliance, on progress uh, in dealing with problems of human rights, uh, with issues uh, of governance. And to if I could just interrupt you on that point, because we can do that. The challenge is that there's normally waivers that are done in those circumstances, or it gets involved in the discussions on cooperation on anti-terrorism, and sometimes the commitments towards human rights gets pushed to the back burner. Yes, we can condition aid, but we then normally give the administration discretion on how to exercise uh, that conditionality. Uh, is there a way that we can be clear as to the importance of the protection of women and girls and other human rights issues? Well, uh, of course, uh, uh, clear statements are important. Of course, this is uh, the uh, challenges of uh, checks and balances and uh, 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 discussions that occur uh, on many uh, fronts that uh, ultimately shape our policy. And I would uh, uh, believe that going forward, uh, the two issues that will uh, remain paramount in our uh, policy regarding Afghanistan would be the issue of uh, threats from Afghanistan, that uh, we want compliance in dealing with that, and on human rights and development issues. So... uh, uh, we need to make it clear that both are important uh, and that uh, with regard to incentivizing cooperation on, on terrorism, not only relationship with security forces of Afghanistan will remain important, but also demonstrating, keeping our eyes on the ball, demonstrating a capability that we can, uh, we can take action if necessary. And with regard to, uh, uh, to uh, the other part of the agenda, uh, I, I, I think conditionality and advocacy on behalf of those conditionalities uh, will remain important. I know that the administration, uh, I have personally have made it very clear that the issue of human rights, particularly women's rights, is second to terrorism in terms of the hierarchy of U.S. Uh, p- policy importance. And we need to continue to do that. But... Uh, I don't have a, a, a fix for the checks and balance and the process of negotiations that take place when uh, decisions are made. But I, I would say uh, that uh, uh, what uh, you are saying, or Senator Shane is saying, will, will remain important advocacy on behalf of human rights. And we will continue to speak up. But I would just point out, uh, Mr. Chairman, it may be important for us to give direct directive to the administration in regards to these issues. So it may be necessary for congressional action to make it clear to the Afghan government uh, that if there is backsliding, the administration is not going to be able to save them in negotiations, that Congress is going to demand that action be taken to protect the rights of women and girls and to protect human rights for the people of Afghanistan, that there be no backsliding. We'll be clear but uh, I am concerned about what happens at the diplomatic table at times. And this is an area that is just too important for us to lose the progress that we've made. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank Thank you. I appreciate your comments and look forward to working with you to make sure the administration knows where we stand on these issues. Senator Rich. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I would certainly uh, 
agree with our distinguished colleague who just spoke. I, I think we, we need to be very clear with the administration as to what our thoughts are in that regard. I think probably the, the Afghans already know where we are, but it wouldn't hurt to underscore that and tell them we really, really mean it through the, through the administration. Along those lines, Mr. Ambassador, uh, uh, you talked about uh, your work in getting the constitutional uh, rights for women in the Afghan constitution. If indeed um, uh, some of the predictions uh, that have been made, and it seems like the majority of predictions, that it's merely a matter of months before the Taliban uh, retake the, uh, the entire uh, Afghan government, what, what is, your, what, what is the, um, your view <laughs> of, of the likelihood? Oh, what is your view of the likelihood of... What is your view of the of the uh, those rights that are in the Constitution, those women's rights in the Constitution, uh, staying in place? What, what's the likelihood of that happening? Uh, uh, thank you, Senator. I, uh, when you were out of the room, uh, I associated myself personally that I do not believe uh, that the government is going to collapse or the Taliban is going to take over. I understand that's your view, uh, that, but suppose the other view prevails. I think that we should all rem uh, will, uh, should be concerned that those rights could suffer. And uh, we would have to then uh, use our dip uh, diplomatic engagement. If there is a government uh, as, uh, uh, dominated by the Talibs, that uh, recognition, normal relationship with it, uh, dealing, uh, providing assistance, diplomatic support for uh, the concern that they would have would be uh, not available if they did not respect uh, uh, the human rights of Afghan women and um, other citizens of Afghanistan. That would be the instrument that we would have to rely on. But I share the concern and that, uh, uh, and I think not only I share it, but the administration as a whole is b both concerned, would be concerned, and we we will do whatever we could uh, to uh, uh, to shape uh, 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 Taliban actions and uh, respond based on what they decide and what they do. And again, I, uh, first of all, uh, to be clear, I, I hope you're right, and that is that the. Uh, uh, that the administration can hang on in Afghanistan. Uh, but as you know, there is a very substantial uh, cadre of people who think that's not going to happen. And right. even even the most optimistic think it, uh, it, it'll only be a matter of months. And uh, you would agree that uh, if that happens, those constitutional rights that you, that you work to get into the Constitution uh, there are in all likelihood in jeopardy since the Taliban don't share the same view on uh, on that issue. Am I right on that? Well, I, sh I have a concern about that, yes. All right, thank you. Um, and then, again, uh, uh, not wanting to be too pessimistic but realistic, and that is if collapse does happen within a matter of months, uh, and particularly if it starts looking like that very quickly, do you agree that we ought to hold up on this $300 million that, uh, that, if, uh, that we've talked about uh, uh, as additional assistance for Afghanistan uh, and uh, be more cautious as far as uh, distributing that at this point? Well, our uh, actions, uh, uh, as I, we have said repeatedly, will depend on the actions that uh, the Afghan government takes. If the Taliban were in that government or dominated that government, certainly our assistance will be conditional on what they do. 
that that's certainly the case. I guess I'm talking about the interim right now when uh, uh, we're in this uh, state of flux where uh, we're, we're moving out and the Taliban at least are telegraphing to some people that they're going to move in. It seems to me we would be better off holding on to our $300 million right now until we see exactly which way it's going. But the announcement of the uh, release of the $300 million that we had withheld was to demonstrate to the Afghan government that uh, we are in support of the government uh, and uh, in support of Afghan women and civil society uh, at this time of transition where our military role uh, will change and our military presence will end, that we are committed to a positive engagement with the, with the, with the current government. It doesn't say anything about a future government that would be speculation dominated by the, by the Talibs. In that case, obviously, we would have to review. Well, it, it seems to me that, uh, that uh, simply by handing over the $300 million and demonstrating that we support the current government isn't going to help them hang on in the face of the Taliban. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for continuing to come before our committee, both in uh, classified and open settings. Uh, my, I think my sense is, and others would likely agree, that both President Obama and President Trump's instinct was likely uh, to end the war in Afghanistan, focus resources other places, uh, and admit that it was not likely that during their administration our goals of political and military stability in Afghanistan were going to be met. They were convinced otherwise, ultimately in part by military leadership that put on a very impressive presentation about what could happen if we stayed another year or two. I know those presentations are impressive because I've watched you know, probably a dozen of them. Uh, every time that I went to Afghanistan, uh, a new impressive, uh, highly credentialed general would explain to me how the next year was going to be different than the prior year. Um, I think President Biden came to the conclusion, as he said in his remarks, that we're at a point where we have to accept the facts on the ground rather than the fantasy of endless PowerPoint presentations. And the facts on the ground are that we are moving backwards, not forwards, that the security situation is getting worse, not better. Um, and so I, I guess I have one additional question, but I, given that there's nobody that knows this portfolio better than you, um, just to speak for a, a moment about um, what it would look like if we stayed for another year at our current levels um, and, and why the team has come to the conclusion that it's likely the trajectory would continue, that the security situation would continue to degrade, the Taliban would continue to advance, the Afghan government wouldn't be any closer to um, being legitimate in the eyes of the majority of the Afghan people. That's not an appetizing scenario, but I think the conclusion was made that one more year or two more years wasn't going to change the trajectory. Am I, am I wrong about that? Well, uh, there are two additional factors to uh, your very able description uh, of the conditions. Uh, uh, one, that if we did stay another year or two or indefinitely, that we will be back at war with the Talibs. Uh, they, for the last uh, 13 months or so, they have not, uh, that we have not had any fatalities because part of uh, one consequence of the agreement was for the Talibs not to attack uh, 
coalition forces, although we had the right to come to the defense of the Afghan forces under the agreement when they were, at, uh, were attacked by the Talibs. If we said we are staying, we're getting out of that agreement, it means we would be back at war with them. So uh, whether the current numbers then would satisfy that we've had uh, 2,500 2, plus, uh, there could have been uh, potentially demand for more forces to be able to maintain the status quo, uh, not to lose significant grounds. Uh, but two, that uh, uh, we were, the military balance was changing territorially, negatively uh, for the past several years. So uh, things were not standing still with, uh, in the configuration that we have been uh, in for the last several years. So uh, there was no military solution. I think that was a judgment for some years for Afghanistan uh, but the, uh, but uh, the decision to pursue withdrawal and a political settlement, uh, I think uh, several presidents had that in mind. And, uh, of course, we know what President Biden decided. So there are capabilities, especially on the military side, that we have been midwifing for right. 20 years. I mean, I, I remember going there during my house days and hearing about our desire to have the Afghan Air Force be able to provide their own close air support so that they wouldn't be reliant on us. We have made very little progress on many of these capabilities, including that one. They are still very reliant on us to provide that support um, for counterterrorism missions. And is it your assessment that some of these security capabilities are unable to be possessed by the Afghan military? Or is it that they were conveniently able to rely on us for the last 20 years, and so they didn't have to do the difficult work of constructing their own security capacities? Well, first, the, uh, the Afghan security forces have developed significantly. I, I, I was ambassador, special envoy first, and ambassador since uh, 2002 to 2005, and really nothing existed. So now we're talking about and the capabilities of the forces that exist, uh, they are very capable special forces in, in the thousands, perhaps as high as uh, 40,000. Their air force, yes, is dependent on us for maintenance uh, and even some degree operations, but uh, it's, uh, it's been effective in many operations. Uh, it's used to compensate for some of the challenges in other areas. And we're working with them to make sure that as we withdraw, that uh, uh, they have access uh, to others who could provide uh, th those services for them. I think uh, uh, we need to uh, continue to invest in, in those security forces uh, to uh, assist them, and we're committed to doing that. Uh, but we will have to make arrangements uh, where we used to do it uh, uh, now they have to do it. I, I believe that sometimes we, uh, uh, some of our analysts are worst-case uh, circumstances that are challenges that we confront. But I think the, uh, it would be a mistake, in my judgment, to dismiss the Afghan security forces as not being a credible force that could could uh, perform 
uh, well, uh, uh, although they will face uh, more difficult circumstances now. You have been consistent in your relative optimism about the right. capabilities of the Afghan security forces. Right. We hope that you're right. Thank you, Mr. Right. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Portman, with us with via WebEx. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I, I appreciate the testimony today, Ambassador Calizade, and more importantly, your service over the years, um, including many years uh, devoted to a peaceful resolution in Afghanistan. And, and I understand you're supporting the administration today. I imagine you're doing it uh, with uh, mixed feelings, uh, given what you've been through. Um, could I ask you a couple of scene setters? How, how many uh, American troops are in Afghanistan? I think uh, 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 slightly above uh, 2,500, I understand. Okay. And, and uh, uh, how many troops are in Kuwait? I do not know that. I don't. Uh, 13,500. How about, how about Gutter? Uh, uh, I, 8,000. Right. 8,000. Bahrain, 5,000. Um, are the majority of the coalition troops American troops in, in Afghanistan? Uh, no. The majority are other NATO troops, right? Right. I don't know. I just uh, I think that's an important scene setter to understand what we're talking about. How many casualties have there been among American troops over the last year, say? Uh, uh, no fatalities, but some casualties, but not very many. Yeah. yeah. So I, don't know, I, I just think we need to set that as a, as, as a stage. Look, I, this is a tough question. It's a really difficult one, and I don't um, envy you or others who have to make the decision, but I am very concerned that we're pulling out not because of any conditions having been met, but just choosing an arbitrary date, uh, which gives the Taliban uh, um, tremendous leverage. And I think it unravels a lot of the progress that, that we have made. And, and I, I asked uh, uh, my team to tell me something about what, what has happened. I've been there, as I think almost all members have who have been in Congress for a while. I've been there uh, a few times and seen this, but um, we now have women who have been given an opportunity to uh, participate in the economy. Uh, women now have joined the military. They've now joined the police. They've now held political office. They've become internationally recognized singers. They've competed in the Olympics. Uh, over the past two decades, we've spent millions of dollars and, and done a lot of hard work to ensure that. And uh, a Taliban takeover stemming from a U.S. withdrawal, which to me seems likely at some point, uh, must mean that, that, that all those points of progress that I know you're, you're, you're very proud of uh, are, are, are going to be uh, reversed. Um, do you disagree with that? I just want to make one comment, uh, uh, Senator, which is that the reason that uh, the casualties are low and no fatalities uh, is because of the agreement that we have had with the Taliban, <laughs> which required us to withdraw altogether, uh, and that uh, without that agreement, if we went went back to war, that that is the uh, the uh, alternative. Yeah. If we didn't implement well, let me, it, let me, if I could, let me let me talk about that agreement just just for a second, Mr. Ambassador. Sure. Um, that that's the February 2020 agreement you're talking about. It was interconnected. We said we would withdraw if the Taliban took action to prevent Afghanistan from being a terrorist haven for Al Qaeda and other groups. But you know, from the DIA uh, to Treasury uh, to the United Nations monitoring team, this is what we found over the past year. AQ members, uh, Al-Qaeda members are integrated into the Taliban's forces and command structure. Taliban is creating a safe haven for AQ. 
Taliban is not taking steps to suppress the threat that AQ poses to the international community. Would you disagree with those? It's our judgment, and I could go into details in an appropriate setting, that the Taliban yeah. have taken uh, several positive steps, uh, as I mentioned before, with regard to terrorism, the commitments not to host, uh, not allow training or fundraising, uh, or recruitment uh, by these terrorist groups that would threaten the United States or our allies, that they have taken several uh, positive steps, but... Uh, uh, well, the, uh, evidence, the, evidence to, 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 for more. the evidence is clear that they haven't kept their part of the agreement. And so when we talk about the agreement, um, you know, I, I just I just worry it becomes a safe haven for terrorists again. I know I, this is not easy stuff. And yet I'm, I'm very concerned. And, uh, you know, I, I again, I've been there. I've I've, I've had some of uh, troops from o Ohio, our, our troops that have had uh, uh, injuries in Afghanistan. I, I'm I'm I'm. I know there have been casualties uh, uh, and there have been fatalities, but I, I do think that pulling out on an arbitrary date, not conditions-based at all, and not providing any sense of continued support for the intelligence community to be able to keep us safe from what happened on 9-11 uh, concerns me a lot. So again, I thank you for your service. You've been uh, a stalwart uh, in various administrations, including your service to Afghanistan over the years. And I uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Senator Kane has stepped out for the moment. So I will turn to um, Senator Booker, who's with us virtually, I understand. Senator Booker? I'm, I'm here. here. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I really um, appreciate it, and I've appreciated this uh, conversation so far. I want to reiterate the concerns that have been expressed about uh, human rights and, um, and, the, and the challenges that will be facing Afghan women after this. Um, but in the meantime, I would like to um, just get a little bit maybe deeper from our witness, and I want to express my appreciation for the witness's service to our country. Uh, but could you give us sort of the posture of a lot of our um, uh, allies in this effort and, and who will share some of the burden with us in the days after our withdrawal and what their what some of their position and focus uh, will be as well. Well, thank you very much, Senator. Uh, as it was stated right now, our allies have more forces uh, in Afghanistan than we do. Uh, our allies share uh, with us uh, values, and we are in locks and step in terms of uh, uh, conditionality of assistance going forward, uh, making that clear to the Talibs that if they don't respect human rights, uh, don't honor Afghanistan's commitments, uh, that uh, they cannot uh, count on assistance uh, from our allies. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, we speak for ourselves and the United States. So uh, we, are, uh, uh, we have a very strong uh, group, U.S. and our European allies, that... Uh, we had a meeting virtually a couple of days ago going over where we are and what do we do next. And uh, uh, the concern is shared there uh, uh, with regard to human rights between us and our allies. Well, I, I, I appreciate the human rights concerns. I want to just turn a little bit to the concerns I have on our counterterrorism joint efforts. Um, and perhaps you can talk to me about how credible you believe right now the Taliban assurances are on not allowing al-Qaeda to operate 
anywhere in their areas of controls. As one of the previous, my colleagues mentioned before, concerns about the infiltration of, of Al-Qaeda. But I'm wondering uh, if you, how, how credible do you think their assurances are in terms of their operations? And again, uh, as was mentioned earlier, you know, we have no basing agreements in Central Asia. Uh, and in light of Russia's uh, uh, sort of cultural historical ties, uh, to the region, it, it brings up concerns and, and how difficult do you think it will be for the U.S. to operate in the region uh, and counter uh, those threats that might occur uh, uh, from the number of other terrorist organizations in the region? Well, as you've heard from uh, the intelligence community, there will be some degradation uh, uh, in terms of our uh, ability uh, to know exactly what's going on when we don't have a physical uh, military presence uh, uh, associated with other agencies there. But uh, uh, we believe, given the nature of the threat right now, uh, with uh, uh, efforts that are underway to, uh, uh, for an over-the-horizon presence uh, to monitor, uh, that uh, we uh, would get adequate warning uh, that's outside my uh, domain. You should ask the intelligence community, but that we would get uh, uh, adequate warning to be able uh, to respond uh, and that part of our effort right now is to uh, uh, not only to uh, have capabilities in place uh, to the best level possible, given that we wouldn't be in Afghanistan itself, that we will have the capabilities in the region. Uh, now, for the near future, obviously, it will be largely in the Gulf, uh, but uh, perhaps uh, beyond uh, that area to respond in a timely manner. And having those structures or those capabilities in place, I believe, would be important also to send a message that uh, uh, there will be consequences if... Uh, Afghan actors allow that threat uh, to reemerge or to, to grow. And then the last last uh, uh, thing I'd just love to get your input. I know that um, uh, there's been sort of a, a decrease in the poppy cultivation and the heron production. And, uh, you know, Afghanistan's illicit drug economy remains, you know, just still a very significant uh, um, a driver in the region uh, and has for decades. And I'm just wondering what uh, plans, if any, does the administration have to try to address the Afghan drug trade and its international implications after withdrawal of U.S. forces? Well, we have been very focused on this uh, challenge, as you said, Senator, for some time. Unfortunately, the, uh, the results have not been uh, 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 commensurate with the of the level of efforts that have been made. But the challenge, of course, remains, and the same uh, uh, focus on this issue, not only by us, but by our allies and uh, neighbors, uh, will be important. Uh, 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 as long as there is demand, unfortunately, supplies will, be, will come from someplace, and right now it's focused uh, uh, significantly in Afghanistan. But that uh, law enforcement, alternative livelihood, uh, eradication, all of these uh, the comprehensive uh, strategy that we've been supporting, uh, uh, um, I believe uh, they, they, uh, will continue uh, to, to focus on this challenge. Thank you. I want to thank you again for your service to our country and appreciate the opportunity to have this public conversation with you. Thank you, thank Mr. Chairman.
Thank, Thank you, you, Senator. And happy birthday to our colleague from New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next is Senator Haggerty on WebEx. Chairman Menendez, thank yes, you very much. Senator Booker, happy birthday to you as well. And Ambassador Kalizad, it's good to see you again. Good to see you, sir. Um, Ambassador, I'd like to go to an area that definitely is in your wheelhouse, but I'd like to put it into the context of what the Biden administration has recently announced. Uh, earlier this month, the administration has announced that it's going to withdraw U.S. troops, which will also lead to the withdrawal of NATO forces there in Afghanistan. Yet at the same time, the administration has said that it will continue diplomatic efforts there in Afghanistan. Yet I note that today, the administration has announced that it's going to be drawing down our diplomatic corps in Kabul. So I'd like to ask you, Ambassador, what's the administration's plan to continue our diplomatic efforts in Afghanistan in the absence of U.S. and NATO forces? And also, I'd like to ask you to what extent we depend on U.S. and NATO forces today for our diplomatic efforts, and to what, if any extent, do you think those diplomatic efforts will be constrained by the removal of those forces? Well, thank you very much, Senator. Uh, of course, uh, we are committed to, the administration is committed to maintaining a strong uh, diplomatic presence uh, at our embassy, and that will take uh, the necessary measures to uh, uh, protect that embassy. Uh, with regard to uh, the announcement, uh, uh, or the, the leak that happened, uh, uh, yes, there will be some uh, small number of diplomats in, in right-sizing the embassy, uh, 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 that those who are not necessary to be there, they can do their job uh, from elsewhere. Uh, 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 that will happen, but it will not affect uh, operation or the capabilities of the, uh, of the embassy. We are very much... Uh, committed to that. Uh, as to the negotiations, uh, uh, well, uh, we had already agreed as part of the uh, agreement with the Taliban to withdraw forces as, as, as part of which was also the commitments they made on terrorism, the commitments to start inter-Afghan negotiations, uh, historic uh, 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 negotiations that have started. Uh, uh, that the military, if we had not withdrawn, uh, would have implied uh, undermining diplomacy in terms of the peace negotiations that had uh, started based on the agreement to withdraw and would have increased uh, violence uh, in Afghanistan by also get us back uh, in, in direct war uh, with, uh, with the Taliban perhaps necessitating that we send more troops while believing that there is no military solution. So in other words, an indefinite war. Uh, so uh, I think that the, the, the alternatives were difficult ones. Uh, I think after uh, a lot of assessment and uh, discussion, the president decided what he did uh, to go with a calendar-based withdrawal uh, rather than a condition-based withdrawal. Ambassador, I think that uh, our diplomatic efforts are going to be significantly challenged, and the drawdown from Kabul underscores my concern that uh, our diplomatic efforts be effective. I hope that you'll continue to monitor the situation closely. I know you're going to have a great deal of responsibility here. I thank you for your service, but I also encourage you to consider a detailed plan uh, as things on the ground are going to change significantly, in my view, as we draw down our forces. 
Thank you. Well, thank you, Senator. Thank you. Uh, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Ranking Member Rish, and thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Um, the question that we're grappling with in this committee and also in other committees, I'm on Armed Services as well, is not whether the U.S. will seek being a partner with Afghanistan. Obviously, we will continue security assistance. We will continue diplomatic assistance. We will continue development assistance, humanitarian assistance. Trade would be my hope. Work with regional partners. The the question that we're grappling with is whether we should start a third decade of combat operations in Afghanistan with U.S. troops. Um, there are a lot of different possibilities for when the U.S. seeks uh, stops military operations in Afghanistan. Some uh, and and all have some legitimate chance of coming to pass. Some believe that the Taliban will take over Afghanistan. Some believe Afghans, having seen 20 years of improved life expectancy, electricity deployment, public health, uh, education, will decide they want to fight to maintain that. Um, some believe it could continue to be sort of a frozen conflict without a clear winner, or there could be a peace negotiation that might produce any range of outcomes. But I, I support President Biden's decision because I think the, the, impact, the um, consequences and the possibilities that I just put on the table are not, after 20 years, dependent upon the United States military. I think they're dependent upon Afghan desire, Afghan will. We spent 10 years to find and kill bin Laden, and we spent 10 years training half a million Afghan security forces to include police. And I think at this point, those decisions are going to be made by Afghans with the U.S. as a continued partner. What I'd like to ask you about, Mr. Ambassador, because my colleagues have done a good job of looking at this from a number of angles, is the region. Um, Afghanistan is, is bordered by six countries. So it's China and Iran, it's Pakistan, and then it's, I think, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. So six nations surround Afghanistan, and those nations are very different from one another. Um, and some we have closer relationships and some we don't. But am I right in um, basically assuming that each for their own reasons – they desire a stable Afghanistan, and they would view instability in Afghanistan occasioning refugees or Afghanistan becoming a haven for terrorists. They would view significant instability in Afghanistan as dangerous to their own national interests. Is, is that fair to say? Well, uh, thank you, Senator. Um, uh, you've painted a good picture of uh, alternative futures for Afghanistan, but, but with regard to the question, I believe that uh, while we have been there, they have all uh, looked to us to solve their problem, uh, the problem in their neighborhood, so to speak. And now I hope uh, uh, an expectation is that they will rise to the occasion that a stable Afghanistan uh, requires a broad-based agreement among, among Afghans that no single uh, element can by force uh, dominate the country and create stability. Uh, that that's the last 40 years. That's uh, what demonstrates that uh, the effort by communists in the 80s to force their will produced a war. Then effort by various mujahideen groups to dominate produced another war. The Talibs trying to dominate produced another war. So, uh, what lessons of these leaders uh, uh, have learned? But it also means the neighborhood, the region, has to rise to the occasion because sometimes Afghanistan's war has been a proxy war of different neighbors supporting different elements. 
But if Afghanistan could become stable, it's a, a, an opportunity for the region in terms of trade uh, for Central Asians to be able to export their products or import. We uh, great opportunity. It's a vision that we share and support: increased trade, increased connectivity, increased uh, uh, integration on the economic front. So they have their own moment of of of, of big decision of choice, and but we're working with them, and I believe. Uh, there is consensus that the uh, Taliban taking over Afghanistan is not in anyone's interest because that would mean uh, continuing war besides uh, uh, other threats that that could produce for them, refugees, as you mentioned. So uh, 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 we're working very closely with those that we can. We obviously, as you point out, we don't uh, have the best of relations with some of them. Uh, but uh, 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 I think this is a defining moment for not only for Afghans to rise to the occasion, but for the region as well. I, th I think the region has benefited tremendously at the American taxpayer's right. expense in terms of the stability that we've been able to bring, the degree of stability we've been able to bring. Right. They have much more existentially at stake with right. instability in Afghanistan than the United States does. And like you, uh, we hope that they recognize that and they step up. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. I yield back, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Is uh, Senator Young with us virtually? Senator Young, if not Senator Shaheen. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, Ambassador, thank you for being here today, for testifying. Since you were appointed as Special Representative for Afghan Reconciliation, I've repeatedly raised concerns about the inclusion of women in the Afghan peace process and, of course, about the preservation of women's rights in Afghanistan. I appreciated your acknowledging that in your um, comments today. Under the previous administration, these concerns really seemed to fall on deaf ears. Um, I'm disappointed to say that my concerns still have not been sufficiently addressed. I did appreciate your um, referring to the rights of women and your commitment to that in your opening statement. Um, and I also very much appreciate the fact that the chair and ranking member and my colleagues on this committee, both Republican and Democrat, have almost all raised concerns about what's going to happen. Um, but what I really want to do is put a face on what we're talking about in Afghanistan. When you say... Um, the level of violence is too high. I want to put a face on that. When you say what Taliban values look like, I want to put a face on that, too. Um, last month, the State Department posthumously honored seven women who were killed in 2020. These women were given the Department of State's International Women of Courage Award. They are pictured here. They were murdered for choosing to live their lives outside of the narrow confines of what the Taliban and other extremist groups deem, deem acceptable for women. And Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter for the record um, the State Department's statement on these women and what they devoted their lives to. Without objection, they shall be included. Thank you. I, I also want to highlight them, and they reflect, I think, thousands of other women in Afghanistan who have been the targets of violence. We can call them courageous, and certainly we do, but they shouldn't have to be courageous to do 
what they tried to do. It should not require courage to be a journalist like Malayla Maiwand, who is right here. It should not require courage to stand up for basic human rights like Fatima Khalil or Freshta Kuistani, both did. Two of them are at the top there. All those women were killed by the Taliban. And unfortunately, that's exactly what's required of women in Afghanistan today. And I worry that this reality is only going to escalate after our departure. So I hope everyone who is watching this hearing today um, will remember these women, remember these seven women and the women like them. Remember the girls in Afghanistan, the girls who should have the opportunity to grow up in a world with the freedoms that their mothers fought to secure. They are watching, and we should be watching. And I just want to also acknowledge the other four women who are pictured here. In the middle is Fatima Rajabi. She was a 23-year-old prison guard who was on her way home on a civilian bus, stopped by the Taliban. She was kidnapped, tortured, murdered, and two weeks later, her body was sent to her family. At the bottom is Freshta. She was a 35-year-old prison guard who was killed on her way to a taxi to get to work, again, by gunmen. In the bottom is General Sharmila Frog. General Frog was the head of the gender unit in the National Directorate of Security and one of the longest-serving female NDS officers in Afghanistan. She was assassinated in an IED explosion targeting her vehicle in Kabul. And finally, for me, the most horrific of all of these barbarous acts is Mariam Norzad in the corner. Mariam was a midwife. She was killed when the hospital in Kabul, where she was helping a woman trying to deliver a baby, was attacked by three Taliban gunmen. They not only killed her when she refused to leave the woman who was delivering her baby, they killed the woman and they killed the baby. These are the Taliban who we are being asked to join at the negotiating table to support. I will not support any efforts that will allow them to continue to commit these horrific acts without any accountability for their behavior. What we do over the next four months is going to impact the lives of women for generations to come. And I believe we have to do everything in our power to support the women of Afghanistan. We have worked for two decades alongside our allies to advance the rights of not just women and girls, but other 
ethnic minorities in Afghanistan, and we can't let those two decades of hard work be ignored in peace talks. We owe it to the women and girls to ensure that their hard-fought rights are preserved. Sadly, I believe an arbitrary deadline for withdrawal forces for our with forces in Afghanistan risks those efforts. These seven women didn't deserve to die, and we owe it to them and to the generations that will come after them to do everything to prevent any more Afghan women from the same fate. And as we've heard, this is not a partisan issue. It is not a women's issue. It is a human rights issue, and it is a security issue for the future of Afghanistan. I, I want to point, Mr. Chairman, and ask that this also be introduced for the record. This is a newly declassified National Intelligence Council report on the fate of women in Afghanistan after we withdraw. Without objection, it shall be included. A few things in this report stood out for me. I, I would just say uh, the senator's... Uh, <clears throat> My time is over. President, uh, yes, but it's very compelling, so I want to give her extra time, but I do want to recognize that there are some other members. Thank you. I, I'm almost finished, Mr. Chairman. I, I think... What stood out in this report is that when the international community pushes for women's rights and pushed for women's rights in Afghanistan, we saw that that made a difference. I believe we've got to keep up this effort after the United States withdraws. And Ambassador, I would urge you to do everything in your power to ensure that women are represented at the table and their rights are preserved in any future Afghanistan. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you for being a conscience in this committee and in the Senate uh, on the rights and future of women in Afghanistan, uh, and we appreciate it. I understand Senator Young is now with us uh, on uh, virtual. Senator Young? Yes, sir. Uh, please, five minutes. Mr. Chairman, uh, and, and welcome, Ambassador, uh, to the committee. Uh, thank you for your years of service. We spent uh, over two decades uh, in Afghanistan. Have we achieved our core national security objectives in Afghanistan, Mr. Ambassador? As the president said, uh, uh, Senator, that we went to Afghanistan to root out al-Qaeda, which was uh, responsible for 9-11 attacks uh, and the planning that happened uh, in Afghanistan. And now uh, we believe that that objective uh, has been achieved. Uh, Al-Qaeda has been uh, degraded uh, significantly uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, uh, the problem of terrorism has become more diffused, uh, including yes. Al-Qaeda. And we need to uh, posture ourselves to be able to deal with that threat uh, uh, differently than we have done in the past uh, 20 years uh, in Afghanistan. Right. right. Over a, a two-decade period, uh, as someone who was a, a former military intelligence officer, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all to know that the threat profile, the threat of terrorist activity, the threat to our homeland, 
has shifted, not just in form, um, uh, not just uh, in, in terms of its level and its nature, but geographically it shifted as well. Is that accurate? That's Mr. accurate. Okay. And did that inform this decision as well? Uh, the, uh, the president made that clear. Yes. Okay. And is, was it assessed that uh, as we look prospectively beyond the summer and, and into uh, future years that uh, there would be a spike in violence uh, targeting our forces, targeting other American personnel in the country of Afghanistan if we stayed? Yes, the assessment uh, was uh, that if we stayed uh, post May 1, uh, based on the agreement uh, that the Talibs and us had that they wouldn't attack us uh, during uh, this period, that uh, we would be back at war likely with the Taliban. Right. Um, so, so this yes. is the decision, whether or not we go back to war. Right. I just want the American people, I want my constituents to know uh, the underlying factors that went into uh, this decision. Implicit in this withdrawal, Mr. Ambassador, is a recognition, I think, that the Afghan National Security Forces will soon be operating without the backstop of U.S. technical assistance and support. But will the administration continue to request Congress provide substantial financial or material assistance to Afghan forces? Yes, we will. And, and will those funds be able to be used to pay for American or foreign contractors? Of course, the issue of uh, U.S. contractors staying, uh, uh, th that is not uh, uh, um, uh, part of the agreement that the uh, contractors could stay. So the contractors are also leaving. But the Afghans are, uh, with our help, are looking for others to be able to provide that service uh, to them. Uh, and we're uh, obviously very sympathetic to them to, uh, to uh, uh, find alternatives uh, to uh, have the needs that they have in terms of maintenance and other needs be addressed. Last week... Mr. Ambassador, uh, the commander of uh, U.S. Central Command testified to Congress that conducting counterterrorism operations against threats in Afghanistan without a presence in Afghanistan would be, uh, his words, extremely difficult to do, but it is not impossible, unquote. He additionally commented the gathering of intelligence would decline. He acknowledged that reality. Uh, but indicated that the United States will be able to continue to look into Afghanistan. Um, comments that support the CIA director's prior warnings. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, what's your assessment of this challenge and how can we support the Afghan National Security Forces to manage these threats? Well, uh, we will continue to uh, have a relationship with the Afghan Security Forces. Uh, we have a shared concern in that regard. Uh, and besides, uh, we believe that the Afghan National Security Forces are a national asset uh, for the country. 
and therefore it's worth supporting. Besides, uh, we obviously uh, will have uh, uh, presence in the neighborhood, in the region, that will co compensate, uh, not completely, but compensate uh, uh, for the departure of U.S. forces in terms of assistance that that presence provided for intelligence uh, uh, capabilities to monitor that it would be some uh, diminution, obviously, with not having a presence there. But as I said before, the threat is also less yeah. uh, than it was at times in the past. And is it's it, the judgment of, uh, of, the, of our president, of the leadership, that, uh, yes, there will be more challenges in terms of both collection of intelligence and in terms of responding, but uh, that uh, 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 given the gains that we make from withdrawal, given the nature of the threat, that that's on balance, uh, it's, uh, it's the, right, uh, the right strategy. If you look at it in its totality of pluses and minuses uh, of, of uh, being there uh, in, a, in an open-ended war without any prospects for, uh, for uh, success, uh, the, the, uh, given that we believe there is no military solution. So it's on balance. It's, uh, it's not obviously ideal, <laughs> but it's on balance better than the alternative of an open-ended uh, war. Thank, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you. Senator Van Hollen. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ambassador Kalazad, thank you for your, your long and good service uh, thank you. to our country. And as you've said and others, uh, no one knows exactly what the future holds in Afghanistan uh, once uh, U.S. forces leave. And you've said rightly that the future depends on choices made by the people of Afghanistan, including the Taliban. And we clearly have limited leverage with respect to those choices that are being made, but we are not without tools. Uh, you've mentioned some of them, security assistance, uh, development assistance, um, other economic engagement on a conditions-based basis, uh, including some of the issues Senator Shaheen eloquently raised, women's rights, a political process, peaceful uh, resolution. Um, another tool uh, that many of us have proposed over the years is uh, increasing the amount of trade that could take place between Afghanistan and parts of Pakistan and the United States. Um, years ago, uh, the House passed something called the Reconstruction Opportunity Zone legislation that would allow a limited segment of goods from Afghanistan and parts of Pakistan to come to the United States duty-free. And we will be reintroducing that as a bipartisan bill soon. Um, is that the kind of tool that you believe could be useful in, in shaping some of the decisions about the future of Afghanistan that may be made by the parties there? Again, this would be a condition-based tool. The President of the United States would have the authority uh, to calibrate it uh, based on conditions on the ground. But what do you think of um, providing that kind of uh, tool going forward. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much, Senator. I want to, the record to show, if I might, that I uh, share uh, Senator Shaheen's uh, concerns about, uh, I didn't get a chance to comment on our presentation or a statement that I share those concerns. With regard to uh, 
what you said, Senator Van Hollen, uh, that uh, we support uh, the idea of increased trade between Afghanistan and Pakistan, between Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Central Asia, and that we support increased trade between us and Afghanistan and Pakistan, and that uh, I look forward to uh, a, a detailed discussion of uh, the proposal that you have referred to. Uh, it seems to me that it is a, a very worthwhile concept, uh, a proposal to explore and look forward to detailed discussion. Well, I thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I, I look forward to working with the chairman of this committee as well. My guess is this is going to go to the finance uh, committee uh, as much as I would like it to come uh, to this uh, committee. But I, I do look forward to working with you. I know other parts of the administration are, are taking a look at it as um, a positive tool um, that we can uh, deploy um, in, in trying to shape uh, the future of, of, of this region. Um, there are obviously lots of countries that neighbor on Afghanistan, but probably the one that has the most direct potential influence here um, is Pakistan. As you've said, and Pakistan um, has an interest in stability in Afghanistan. If you see chaos uh, and uh, full-blown war re-erupting, uh, you have refugees uh, coming to Pakistan. And of course, Pakistan uh, fought its own war with the Pakistani Taliban, did it not? It did. Right. And you have uh, pointed out in your public comments uh, that uh, the government of Pakistan has helped to facilitate your negotiations uh, with the Taliban in Doha. Is that right? It does. How would you characterize the, the support uh, in, to the effort of the government of Pakistan now in terms of um, our, our goals of trying to bring about a stable uh, situation in Afghanistan? They have been supportive of our effort to uh, press uh, the Taliban uh, to reduce violence, to enter negotiations uh, with the government of Afghanistan, uh, to uh, be an active participant in uh, peace negotiations, uh, including in uh, Istanbul, Turkey, the, the uh, planned uh, conference that the Turks have, uh, in cooperation with the UN and Qatar, have, uh, have been working on. Uh, Pakistan has a special responsibility given uh, 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 its influence over the Taliban, and so uh, we appreciate what Pakistan has done so far, but uh, we are not there yet, and of course uh, uh, we look forward to working with them to get to, uh, 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 to a peace agreement between the Taliban and the Afghan government uh, in the coming weeks and months. No, I appreciate that. I think it's important to continue to pressure the government of Pakistan to, to be a uh, constructive player uh, in this. Um, but I think you would agree that um, after the Soviets left Afghanistan, right, after uh, the government of Pakistan and others supported our efforts uh, against the uh, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, um, the United States uh, disengaged uh, totally from the region. And what was left was a vacuum that the Taliban filled and that al-Qaeda then uh, took advantage of. So I hope um, as we withdraw our forces, um, which I support and understand, we, we remain engaged. And I'll just leave you with this, Mr. Ambassador. I, I really hope the president, President Biden, uh, will call Prime Minister Khan my understanding is that phone call has not been made, at least as of the other day. 
It seems to me that if we're going to ask and rely on Pakistan to be an important player here, um, that that dialogue should happen as soon as possible. Yes. I hope I, you'll take I that I agree with back. you. The dialogue with Pakistan is very important. No, I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just want to check, are there any Republican uh, members of the committee seeking recognition? I haven't been told of any, but if not, I understand Senator Schatz is with us virtually. Thank, thank you, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Ambassador. Um, we've got 2,500 um, troops, uh, about 450 U.S. government staff. We kind of know what's going to happen uh, with respect to that. I want to talk about the total sort of footprint of, of, of United States citizens. Um, we've got 6,150 U.S. Uh, national contractors and a total of almost 17,000 U.S. employed uh, contractors. Can you talk to me about what we need to do to protect uh, everyone else? Uh, the 2,500 being withdrawn is sort of the headline maker, but what's the presence going to be like? And are we going to see a corresponding reduction in U.S. presence in terms of contractors and others? I believe that there would be a corresponding uh, a reduction in the uh, number of contractors as well. Who drives that decision? And um, can you give us uh, a little bit better fidelity on what that is going to look like in terms of a drawdown? Uh, the withdrawal of contractors uh, who supported the Afghan uh, security forces, uh, that's part of the agreement that we have with the Taliban. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, that reduction uh, uh, has been there uh, since we signed the agreement uh, last year. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I so we've got 6,150 U.S. nationals and a, a total of 16 or 17,000 employed by the United States. Do, should right. we expect a drawdown? And if so, uh, over what period of time and well, the drawdown. Of course, we, uh, as far as the diplomats are concerned, uh, and people working for the embassy, uh, um, uh, including protecting the embassy, that's one category. We will maintain a strong embassy presence. If your question is with regard to contractors that service. Uh, the Afghan security forces, as part of the agreement, uh, they will uh, draw down as, as uh, uh, retrograde as, we, as the military forces do. At the, the same, same pace? I, uh, uh, could their numbers are larger? Yes, but uh, in terms of uh, the contractors, but they will be out uh, as the security forces are, uh, are out. Those who provide services for the security forces uh, uh, that uh, the 2,500 or so that remain. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also submit that for the record so that we can get some precision on, on the numbers sure. and over what If you time. have more specific questions, we'll get back to you, Senator. Yes. Sure. sure. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, divesting equipment. Um, we've got a number of agencies, DOD, um, uh, USA, DOJ, DHS, Treasury, uh, UNICEF, WHO, the World Food Program, and a lot of them have uh, stuff that they're going to be leaving behind. And I understand that we plan to sell a lot of the equipment, um, but we've got a lot of good NGO partners on the ground. Uh, and I'm wondering whether there is um, it, uh, it, whether there's any plan to give these NGOs 
uh, access to any non-combat equipment so that they can use it to support our work in delivering education, development, and aid for the Afghan people. I will take that question for the record uh, to respond since it involves various agencies, if you do not mind, Senator. Absolutely. Final question. Um, can you talk to me about what the, uh, how we're working with UN and our European partners and, our, uh, and the neighbors in the region to prepare for a possible uh, refugee problem or refugee crisis? Well, we are working ourselves to develop uh, humanitarian plans for possible uh, increase in number of Afghan refugees. And uh, we're also uh, working uh, interagency here and with, uh, with partners. Uh, we can, I can take that question for the record too. We, we were in the process. We don't have uh, a, a finalized plan, but uh, we'll make sure uh, to uh, provide an update as to where we are. Thank you. And we'll need to know what the resource requirements are right. uh, for, for this and other committees. Indeed. I understand. Thank you. Well, thank you. <clears throat> uh, I understand there are no other colleagues seeking recognition, so I have some final questions. Uh, Ambassador, you referred to uh, the uh, reduction at the embassy in Kabul as right-sizing. Uh, right-sizing suggests that that's a change uh, since we're changing our mission we are bringing it down to a different size. My understanding is that the reduction at the embassy is a, because of increased violence in Kabul. Is that correct? Well, uh, uh, having been a chief of mission myself in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, sometimes the ambassador, uh, depending on his needs and the overall circumstances in the country, this requests uh, uh, adjustment, and I believe that uh, our charge had made the request taking uh, all these factors into account. And, but it's a small number uh, in terms of reduction uh, that he has requested. <clears throat> taking all these things into account, including increased violence in Kabul? Yeah, I suspect he has included all factors, and that must have been one of them. It will be interesting to find out exactly why we are at this particular time, right. other than reducing mission, because we haven't quite reduced troops yet. So I'm not quite sure. It, it, it is compelling to understand why, so that therefore we can also uh, deduce uh, other elements from that. Let me ask you, uh, how many Afghan security forces are there today? Uh, we we, uh, we believe, as I said in my testimony, I think it's about 300,000. And we've trained over time over 600,000, right? Probably because, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, people, uh, this is a voluntary force, some leave. Uh, so I don't know for sure that the number is 600,000, but uh, substantially more than the 300,000, yes. I agree. And now... Uh, how many uh, Taliban fighters do we estimate exist? Well, <laughs> that estimate has changed over time. I, I, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, then advertently, I don't want to say the number that I have gotten uh, that I can disclose in another setting, but uh, it's less than 100,000, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there are published reports that suggest there, there are around 80,000. So. It, Let's say, I, I, let's say that that's the numbers. number. So we have 300,000 Afghan security forces up against 80,000 Taliban forces. 
with most of those security forces largely within the Kabul area and in, in some provincial capitals. So one has to wonder uh, for lessons for the future, uh, what is it that we have done that 300,000 versus 80,000, uh, which is uh, almost a four to one ratio, uh, still leaves us at risk that the, that the Taliban can uh, overrun the country. It is a, is a serious question as we not only look at uh, Afghanistan, uh, but also as we think about our engagement any place in the world in the future. Um, you know, if we, if we, for example, the question was raised about their Air Force abilities, which are really rather hindered because we haven't really held them, helped them to fly, so to speak, fully on their own. So that means every time we roll out of a place, if we cannot have a standing army of that nation be able to sustain its own uh, future and security, then I'm not sure what we accomplished after so many lives and national treasure. I think, uh, Senator, uh, you raise a, an important question, uh, and that's why I myself personally am uh, not uh, as pessimistic as some others are. Uh, but I think the broader question that you raise is a legitimate one as to what lessons learned are there from the way that uh, this, uh, the Afghan forces uh, were created, were uh, trained and equipped uh, and maintained. Uh, those uh, there are, I think, uh, important lessons to be learned. I, I, uh, I hope that your optimism is rewarded and that at a future hearing, uh, we will be looking at that the Afghan security forces were able to sustain the nation and therefore create a chance for a pathway towards a diplomatic solution. I fear that at some point in the future, we may be having a hearing that that isn't the ultimate reality. And then we'll have some real serious decisions to make from that. Um, finally, who is leading contingency planning within the United States government, particularly at the State Department, I would say, but within the United States government, in the event that Afghanistan implodes into a civil war, the Taliban takes over, there's a humanitarian crisis. Uh, I think it's fair to say that being prepared for any of those eventualities, while we hope none of them ultimately comes to pass, but it would be a smart thing to do. Yeah. Well, I think it would be both smart and, and, and prudent. Uh, of course, uh, uh, the National Security Council uh, uh, leads the interagency process uh, uh, and uh, will take your message back uh, uh, that uh, uh, there is need to be a lead person uh, as your concern or lead institution for future contingency planning uh, for Afghanistan. I appreciate that the NSC often plays that role. I'm not sure that they are in this particular case. I'm not, I'm not particularly sure that anyone at this moment is. And my point is that we should start that process of creating those abilities to know the contingencies so, not, so that we are able to respond in real time versus scratching our head and thinking and about what do we do now. And, and hopefully we'll, uh, to preclude them to the maximum extent possible. Uh, uh, I, I, I agree. Well, uh, with the thanks of the committee for your long service and your particular knowledge here, uh, the uh, hearing uh, 
uh, will uh, record will remain open until the um, close uh, of business uh, tomorrow. Uh, and again, with the thanks of the committee, this hearing is adjourned. Thank you.